It doesn't matter the arena. We all love a good debate about who's the greatest. But all the things we think define greatness, they pale in comparison to Jesus. Greatness is something more. It's in His strength and in His way. He is the one in whom we can trust. The one who is enough. Our faithful guide and savior, Jesus is Lord. The greatest of all time. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. And can we just thank Jesus that he is with us today? And isn't that the good news that, boy, it's just sitting there, so many thoughts in my mind listening to that song and just reflecting on my own journey of following Jesus. Not every moment of being a Jesus follower is easy. And uh, not every moment today that we face uh, is something that there's no problems. Uh, matter of fact, after service last night, went out to the lobby just because I, I'm an extrovert. And, uh, and I love just to be around and I'm doing my best not to hug you. <laughs> but I want to be around people and celebrate what God's doing so much. And I, I met a gentleman who, it was his first time here last night. Oh, so excited that, you know, that you've joined us, especially if it's your first time online. Or uh, I love that he was uh, here. And, and I said, you know, well, who brought you and what's the story? And he said, well, I'm here uh, because four months ago uh, I became a widow. And it was my neighbor who brought me here. And I went, man, there's Jesus. In the middle of our loss, there's Jesus bringing the church to us, building us up. And it made me think about this quote. I saw it was uh, uh, Toby Mack, a great Christian artist. I put it on his Facebook page a long time ago. I don't think it's uh, uh, original to him, but I just saw it. And I thought this is good for us to hear today. Uh, this was the quote. It said this, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And boy, as a church, we need to be kind to one another right now because every one of us, man, we're fighting a battle nobody else knows anything about except Jesus. That even when nobody else knows what we're going through, Jesus knows what we're going through. And not only does he know what we're going through, he is with us in the fight. Uh, this is what I find interesting, the word Israel. Uh, you know, we hear about the Israelites in the Old Testament and we go, what does that even mean? Do you know what the word Israel means? It means one who struggles with God. It is the originator of the phrase, the struggle is real. You know, we think that's something new for us today. Boy, that struggle is real right now, you know, in life. That is what it means to live life with God, is that we wrestle through the dark times of life, that we go through these moments, and in our darkest times, Jesus is with us. The struggle is real, but so is our Savior. And so is the Holy Spirit with us doing an incredible work. See, this is why the Jesus is the greatest of all time. That, that, that when our job lets us down, when maybe things go sideways with our spouse and it doesn't end up the way we want, or maybe we're waiting on the spouse to come into our life, or we're waiting on kids and we're waiting and things aren't great and the struggle is real, our Savior is here. This is why he's the greatest of all time. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down because here's where we're going today in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6. This is the big idea that I want us to wrap our mind around, that God's wanting us to wrap our mind around today is this. That in our limitation is God's invitation. That in the middle of our limitation is God's invitation. Too many times when we hit the wall in life, we think it's all over and it's up to us to figure out. And it's like, no, when you hit the wall, that is God's sign to go, would you let me begin to lead and do a work in your life that you can't? 
Don't be defeated in your limitation. That is the invitation of God to come in. See, in our ending, God is doing a new beginning. This is why I love the Apostle Paul, who was a murderer, and God changes his life and says, I want you to leave that way, and I'm going to invite you to be, one, a greatest church leader of all time, to write most of the New Testament, Paul. You were a murderer. You thought you were doing all this other stuff. You've hit the wall in life, but I have a new beginning. And Paul says this. I love how he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He has this reflection of his life. He says, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. That the old is gone and the new has come. See, this is what Jesus does in the midst of our limitation. He brings his invitation to us. See, we don't need to feel bad when we can't live up to our own standards. We don't need to feel like it's all over when things look like they're over in our life. God is saying, no, you bring those pieces of your life to me because I want to do something new. Except here's the thing. God wants to do something new in our limitation. It's his invitation. But here's the thing. It only comes through confrontation. Some of you, you're already starting to squirm just thinking about the word confrontation, aren't you, right? Yeah, some of you just look down. You're like, don't look at me, man. Don't confront me with that idea. Because a lot of times when it comes to confrontation, we don't like it. We want to avoid it. We know it. We have thoughts. But we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about it. But here's the thing. The way that you and I experience Christ is we confront ourselves and go, you know what? Maybe I don't have it all together. Maybe I do have some imperfections and God wants to do something good in my life. Uh, last night before service, I was talking to one of my buddies and, and uh, he said, I said, how are things going? He said, things are going good. I said, how's the family? He said, well, and I said, tell me about it. You know, when somebody says that, right, you're going, there's some, there's some issues to deal with. He said, my son, he said, I, I said, hey, before you buy a car, let me know because I want to help check the car out with you. And he said, my son listen to what I said and went and bought a car without me. And I said, yeah, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. You know, dad gives me some advice and insight and I totally reject him. And he said, the problem is this. He bought a car and he said, of course, within the first week, blows a head gasket. And he said, I told you, I told you. And he said, dad, I'm fine. He said, you've never owned a car and you've never worked on a car. How are you fine? He goes, dad, YouTube. He goes, so he watched YouTube, took apart his car. I said, how's that going there, Dr. Phil? How's that going for you, right? He said, uh, the block on his car fell out. And he said, now he's, you know, almost thousands of dollars into repairing a junker already. And he goes, and, and I said, so what are you going to do next? He goes, I, I don't know how to put it together. <laughs> and I could just hear it in that moment going, especially as a teenage dude, we don't like confronting our limitations. We don't like asking for help. I'm going to figure it out. And if I have to use YouTube, I'm going to use YouTube. And I have to use something else, I'm going to use something else. But boy, we hate to confront our limitations. But I'm telling you, until we confront our limitations, we miss out on the invitation of God. See, God's not asking you to look to YouTube. He's not even asking you to look to yourself to fix yourself. What he's saying is this. Would you just acknowledge your limitation? Would you acknowledge your sinfulness so that my spirit can come into your life so that I can do a new work in you? This is what Jesus promises us. Matter of fact, if you open the scriptures, this isn't just new to us. If you open the scriptures and you look at any story in the Old Testament, you look at any story in the church, it's always people who are facing their limitations and God is doing an unbelievable work in their life. In Genesis chapter 12, 
12, God calls to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I want to start a great nation through you. I want to bless you, and you are going to be a blessing to all the nations. Except he says this, I need you to leave where you live and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Yeah, where's it at? I'll show you. Yeah, I know, but what are you going to do? How, what, you know, what am I going to eat? I will show you, Abraham. I just need you to leave where you are and to step into what I have for you. What's fascinating about Genesis chapter 12 is this. Abraham, it says, then left where he was. And then the next line, it says this, and he was 75 years old. Who's looking to start their life over again at 75, right? You're going, no, no, 75 is like, that's when I'm going. I'm not starting anything else over, man. I'm down in Florida. I'm kicking my feet up. I'm resting and relaxing. And what God says is in every moment, no, 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 I want to invite you to something new. You begin to look later on. And David, in Psalm chapter 51, God has to confront him through the prophet Nathan and says, I have something more for you. King David, you've made some grave mistakes in your life. And God uses the church today, but he would use prophets to confront kings and different people and call them back to God. And you look in Psalm 51 after David had wrecked his life, after he wouldn't acknowledge God in different areas of his life, and he acknowledges, okay, God, I surrender, I give up to you. Would you do a new work in my life? And listen to what he says in Psalm chapter 51. This is a broken man. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not deny. God will not deny us when we come to him acknowledging our limitations. God will not deny us when we come to him confessing our sins. God will not deny us when we come to him going, God, would you help me? I can't hold this together. There's no YouTube, there's no duct tape, there's no nothing that can fix my life. And here's what David is saying. What I found is this, in my limitations, I'm finding a new life in God. So bring your failures to God. Jesus even says it this way in Mark chapter 8 to his disciples. He says it to us today. When we walk as people of faith, he tells his disciples in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 35. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Do you hear that? He's going, if somebody's going to come after me, you've got to acknowledge your limitations that you can't save yourself. And take up your cross and follow me. I'm not asking you to lead your life. I'm asking that you would let me lead you. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will save it. See, the invitation of Jesus is to go, hey, go ahead, pump the brakes and allow me to lead your life. Because when you allow me to lead your life, you're going to find your life. This is what the writer of Hebrews is writing to the church who's facing massive persecution. The struggle is real, just like the struggle is real for us. Everybody in this room, we're struggling with something. We're fighting our way through something. We're, we're, we're fighting and clawing. And the writer of Hebrew, Hebrews reminds them, hey, in the middle of your limitation, God is inviting you in. Jesus is the greatest of all time. Listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 6, verse 3, he says this. He says, we have much to say about this, about Jesus, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Woo! Welcome to church, right? He, this, I'm like, what a letter. And he says this, he goes, guys, I have much for you to hear, but here's the deal. Really, that word slow to learn means this, but you're being lazy. Oh, who are you to call me lazy? You know, I'm sure they're reading that. He says this in verse 12. In fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. 
But you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. It's talking about our sin and of faith in God. That's what we do when we come to faith. We go, God, I'm a sinner. I need your grace and instructions about baptism. That's why we celebrate baptism. We're buried with Christ and we rise again to follow him. The laying on of hands, which means the receiving of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Here's the invitation for us today. We're all trying to figure our life out. We're trying to get better at life. We're trying to do better through all this other stuff. Here's the invitation that God has for us today in the midst of all of our imperfections. He says this, I'm inviting you into maturity. Really what God is saying in this passage, what the writer's saying to the church at this time is this, I'm inviting you to grow up in Christ. I'm inviting you to mature. That word mature here literally means this, perfection. God is inviting us to have our life perfected. Sometimes we make the mistake and we go, when we become a follower of Jesus, we have to do everything perfect. I remember I baptized a lady, literally it was about 10 years ago here, and it was such a special moment. Uh, she was a recovering addict. She had all these things going on in her life and got baptized, came to the Lord. It was such an incredible moment back there. There was tears and sobbing, all this other stuff was going on. It was such a great moment. And before she left backstage to walk around to come back in here, she goes, wait, what if I sin tomorrow? Do I have to get baptized next weekend? And I said, yep. She, no, I didn't. I didn't tell her that. Either. She's like, you know, we'd be all getting baptized every weekend. And in that moment, she's like, well, what do I, what do I, I I'm going to try my hardest, but I know I'm going to fail. No, no, no. This is why the writer says this. Solid food is for the mature. He's going this. God wants to mature us in our faith. But we come to faith, but God wants to perfect us. God wants to shape us. He wants to refine us. That's what it means. Too many times we think God only wants to punish us. No, God is about perfecting you. God is about when he reveals the imperfections in us, he's not trying just to make us feel bad. What he's saying is this. He's trying to draw our attention to where we can grow up in Christ. And can we agree that this past seven to eight months has revealed probably the worst out of all of us? Boy, it has revealed the impatience I have with my kids. It has revealed the immaturities of me. Boy, it has revealed the judgmental nature of my heart. What about them and this and that and all this other stuff? And what God is going is ding, ding, ding. Hey, Nate, would you let me perfect you? Because it's clear you got some imperfections, my man. And see, this is the invitation. He's saying, I want to mature you. And he even goes on and says this. I find this fascinating. We need to hang on to this word. He goes, in fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. Someone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. I come to church, man. I got baptized. I come to church. I serve in the nursery. I ain't teaching nobody, right? Here's what that word teacher means. It means somebody who would invest their lives into someone else. See, this is the call to maturity. See, maturity isn't just about knowledge and do you have all 66 books of the Bible memorized and if you do, you're super mature. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people who have the Bible memorized, they're super immature. I love how Pete Scazzaro says it this way in his book, Emotionally Spiritual, uh, a Healthy Leader. He says this, you can only be as spiritually mature as you are emotionally mature. 
And if you want to grow in spiritual maturity, you actually have to grow in your emotional maturity. In the business world today, everybody's beginning to shift away from just the IQ test. you got to be smart, but what they're saying is this. Now it's about your EQ. Now it's about your emotional intelligence. It's not just about your brain smarts. See, this is what God has been longing for is all along. He's going, I want you guys to be teachers. I want you guys, and it's not just that you would have a formal class setting, but I've made you for relationships, and I've made you to invest in others. See, this is one of the things that we do is this. We have to acknowledge in our way of maturity, this is what the writer is saying to them, and this is what God's saying to us today is this, is that every single one of us has a spiritual next step to take. Every single one of us in this room, myself included, we all have a spiritual next step to take. I don't know what that is for you. For some of you, it may be to be baptized. For some of you, though, you've been baptized, and now it's going, okay, God, what do you do in my life? God, I want to walk in the way of purity. God, I want to acknowledge you. I want to pay attention to what you're doing. For some of you, now it's beginning to turn to go, no, I need to begin to become a teacher. I need to begin to invest my life into others. Because he said, if you're not careful, what's happening is you're going back and being like an infant and you're going back to milk. This Thursday, this past Thursday night before our life group, uh, we host our life group at our house and we had three new couples coming in and it's awesome. But we were making this big bowl of, you know, pot of chili and it's starting to bubble up and we were trying to get everything ready and we're running around and we're, we're trying to get our house set. And then finally we went, wait a second, where's Zeke, our three-year-old? Where, 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 where's Zeke? Because we always know when it gets quiet and Zeke's not around, it, that's not good, right? And, uh, and we said, Zeke, Zeke, where are you, man? We're going, you know, he's been quiet too long. And he comes around the corner and this is what he looked like on Thursday, right before group, man. And... Uh, Broke into all the nail polish uh, from Lily, his eight-year-old sister. Went downstairs, climbed up on a stool, got all the nail polish. Didn't just do one fingernail polish. Put on two layers. I'm like, boy, you were really warrioring up for small group tonight, my man. Now, here's the deal. Nail polish was all over our bathroom downstairs. It was a mess, all this other stuff. And here's what I remember. Zeke's three. And I'm like, daggone it, man. Come on, son. But we go... He's a kid. You do that at 13, Zeke? We're going to have a different conversation, my man. Right, you come up with fingernail painting and you trash the bathroom. It's not going to be, come on, son, right? You know, it's going to be a whole different conversation going on. And what the writer says is, man, there's times that we come to God and we look exactly like that. I mean, we are just a mess. And God is saying, you bring all of your mess to me. But here's the thing. If five years and ten years down the road as Christians... If we look the same that we did when we came to faith, we got to ask ourselves, are we really maturing in Christ? Here's what I learned about Jesus. He loves us right where we are. You need to know that today. Even if you're not a believer in him, he loves you right where you are. He loves you right where you are. But here's also the deal. He loves you too much to leave you there. He loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to mature you in your faith. He wants to grow you into what God has. This is why when it says, hey, start with milk, he, there's nothing wrong with milk. And milk is the foundation of our faith. For some of us, we need to grow. We need to start just with milk when it says this, the repentance of sin. We need to begin to say, hey, for some of us today, it's just about saying, all right, God, I've messed up. I need to trust you. I need to be baptized. I need to be filled with your spirit. I need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus because I know I'm going to face a judgment at the end of my life. That's the foundation of our faith. 
Literally, the word disciple, some of us, we go, we don't have what it takes. You know what the word disciple means? This is all it means. This is what Jesus says. He goes, follow me if you want to be my disciple. It just means this, learner. Can you be a learner of Jesus today? Can you just go, God, I, I, I want to learn about you. I want to follow you. Because here's what I'm fired about my journey with Jesus. I can't skip any steps. There is no like Mario Brothers. Remember when you could find like the secret pathway and jump to like level eight? I'm talking like original eight-bit Nintendo, all right? You know what I'm saying? You know, you would find that pathway and you would skip the game and you go to level eight and you'd beat the game and you'd beat the game, but you really didn't beat the game. And Jesus goes, that's not how you play the game of maturity. Maturity, you don't get to skip steps. This is why Jesus' invitation to his disciples, I love it. It's so simple, but it's profound. His first invitation to people were this. Hey, just come and see. Just come and hang out. Just come and be with me. Open the scriptures. Just come and talk with me. And then he says this, after hanging out with me, make the decision to follow me. And then later on, this is what he tells his disciples. Now I want to send you out to go fish for men. Do you see that maturity process? Come and see. Follow me. Go fish for men. God is saying, when you begin to allow me into every part of your life, I will lead you into maturity. I will grow you in what I have for you. Because he's, this is what the writer's saying. He's going, man, don't go back to milk. I have meat for you. Or for you vegetarians, God has a portobello mushroom for you, all right? Man, it is stuffed with, I don't know, cauliflower, whatever you got stuffed that with, right? You know, you know it's, God's going, hey, I want to move you from milk to meat. I want, I want to mature you. I have stuff. This is why in the Great Commission, his last commission to his disciples, he says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus going, I'm in control, man. You think your limitation is in control of you? No, I'm in control of that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then catch this, Jesus says, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Do you hear the maturity of that? Jesus is saying, I want you to teach others, but it's going to come through a relational way. Think about your favorite teacher that you've had in your life. You know what our favorite teachers are like? They're people who actually care about us. They don't just care about what we need to know. They actually care about our souls. And they're for us, and they walk with us, and they speak real words into our life, and they move us in the path of Jesus. See, it's not just that we would take our next spiritual step. This is what the writer is reminding them about, it's also this. You may want to write this down. It's about as disciples training wiser, not trying harder. It's about you and I training wiser, not just trying harder. Some of us, when we come to Jesus, we're like, okay, this week I'm really going to get my act together. Uh, let me just free you of that from, for a second. It's not about you trying harder this week. You know what it is? It's about you and I training wiser this week. It's about us. This is why he says this. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, the mature is about this constant use, this, this using God's word and training themselves by it. Matter of fact, what I love about that word trained, it's where we get the word gymnasium from. I don't know what your thought is when we regathered. You know, for some of us, when we come into church, we go, man, I'm just coming to church to check the box because hopefully God will bless me because I was at church this week. I don't know, for some of you, your parent told you, listen, if you don't go to church, you're not eating lunch today. And you're like, that's why I'm here, right? 
But can I, can I just invite us into this way of thinking as the church? What if when we regather here today and what if when we gather at groups and we live our daily life, you thought more about your faith as going to the gym than just listening to a lecture? What if this whole thing was about this constant use of God's word, this constant training? See, when we show up, when we go to the gym, we go to the gym because we know we're out of shape, right? That's why we go to the gym. Nobody shows up to the gym going, look at me. Everybody's like, please don't look at me, right? When we walk in the gym, don't judge me, right? Playing a fitness, judgment-free zone. That's why we show up to the gym. What if we had this mentality that when we came here to church, we're going, God, would you go to work on me today? God, would your Holy Spirit take control of my life today? God, would your word convict me today? God, would you lead me in beyond my limitations? God, would you do a work so good that when people ask what's going on, all I can say is there was Jesus. God, you were redeeming and moving and changing my life. Later on in chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says this in verse 10. I love this. He says, our fathers disciplined us for a little while, while as they thought best. That's all we do as dads, right? Why do you discipline like that? That's the only way I know. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I'm just trying my best. But God disciplines us for our good. See, when God convicts us, it's for our good. And not only is it for our good, listen to what it says, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Catch it. For those who have been trained by it. See, that's what it means to be a disciple. Not that we have our acts together, but everybody in this room, we're all going, no, no, we're all in training. I'm at the gym this morning because <laughs> I ain't going to go to the gym today, y'all. But, but I'm at the gym this morning. Matter of fact, pre-COVID, I went to this gym. My buddy was a trainer, and I would go in, and uh, he would put us through this routine, and he had this one thing, and it was called the assault bike. And uh, let me just tell you, it lived up to its name. I felt assaulted after I did that bike. And uh, literally, this is what would happen. We would get on. He's like, all right, I want you to do a, two, a point two mile sprint on this bike, and for about 25 seconds, you'd pedal as hard as you can. You're like, okay, I'm done. And then something would begin to happen in your body, and like all of us would be like, like we were getting sick from the inside. We'd run outside, you know, get sick. We'd come back in. Why do we pay for that type of stuff? I don't know what it is, but we keep coming back. But here's why. You know why? Because later on, later on, we were always grateful we put in the work. Later on, we're grateful. I'm telling you today, when God is disciplining us, when God is meeting us in our limitations and he's going to work and maybe he's confronting us or he's calling us into maturity or he's bringing some things about in us, here's what's happening. He's going, later on, I want you to share in my holiness. Man, I want you to share in the life that I have for you. I have so much for you. This is why he says this. He's going, this is why I want you to train. Three ways that we train. One, it's by God's spirit, it's by God's word, and it's by God's church. That's how we train. We train by the Holy Spirit. We train by God's word. We train by God's church. None of us can be church by ourselves. We're all in this together. And then he says this, because those who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish, and here's why this is so important, good from evil. You understand why we go into training as Christians? Did you know that Satan is trying to lie to you every day? Anybody else recognize that? We're like, wait a second, is that you again trying to trick me? Right? Boy, he, and not just from other people. 
You know who, you know who he tries to, 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 to like the, the leading voice in my life that tries to get me to not pay attention to Jesus? Myself. My own thoughts. Man, God will remind me of failures. He will point those things out. I'm like, you know what? You're right. No, no, no. This is why, this is why the Hebrew writer of Hebrews says, no, no. Train yourself in God's word. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation now. Man, we have been changed, and we need to learn how to distinguish good from evil. It's not about you and I being wise. It's about God's word bringing this wisdom into us so that we can distinguish good from evil. You know how uh, the government, they revealed this. You know how the government actually can detect counterfeit money in our country? Sometimes we feel like we've got to have the most advanced machines to understand this. You know how they do this? By studying the real thing. That's it. Because they know, once they know the real thing, they can detect every counterfeit that is created. For some of us, we feel like we have to become so smart to detect the difference between good and evil. No, all you need to know is the truth of God. And the more you train yourself in the truth of God, and the more you know the word of God, and the more you listen to the Holy Spirit, all you got to do is this. The more you know that, the more you go, oh, no, that, that sounds like Satan. That doesn't sound like Jesus. But that sounds like a lie. That doesn't sound like him. That's not consistent with scripture. And it trains us between good and evil. Because this is, and I only have a few minutes to talk about this, but right after this, the writer unleashes what is one of the biggest debated uh, passages in scripture in verse 4. It says, this is why we need to do this, because it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, this conversation has been debated for over a thousand years. Uh, this is a, a passage that says, you know, when you get saved, can you lose your salvation? Or are you eternally saved? Where is it at? And I just want to point out one big thing here. There's a difference between falling away in your faith and falling in your sin. Because all of us battle with that. All of us struggle with sin. That's what Paul says. We're going to struggle with that. Just because you struggle with sin doesn't mean you're falling away from your faith. Doesn't mean you're falling away from your faith. Matter of fact, we have passages that say this, that God holds us secure in his hand. We don't have to worry about Satan plucking us out of his hand. At the same time, we have passages that say this, be careful because people are shipwrecking their faith and they're losing their faith. They're both in the Bible. See, this is why training and allowing God to move us into maturity is so important. Hebrews chapter 10, 26 through 27 says this, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, talking about Jesus, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Let me just have a pastoral moment with us here today. I, I just got to warn you, just because you get baptized or just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not in danger. And at the same time, as I warn you on that, I, I want to warn you that just because you're struggling with sin doesn't mean God has left you or you have left God. 
I've got several friends that have grown up in churches that every weekend, boy, you had to rededicate your life or who knows. And it was like, ah, you know, it was just like, am I saved or am I not? No, 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 God loves us. Here's the thing. I love how Mark Moore puts this. Uh, He's a friend and theologian. Listen to what he tells. He, He just wraps this up in his book, Core 52. He wraps this up in a great way. He says this, God keeps us eternally secure in Christ, offering us the dignity of choosing to be faithful to Jesus. God holds us secure in Christ. But here's the thing. God also knows love is how you live in the freedom of God. And that you and I have choices to make. You and I, in the midst of our limitations, have an opportunity to respond to Jesus, have an opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit, have an opportunity to move forward. As much as this is a big theological debate, here's what I don't want us to miss. This whole passage is to remind people that Jesus loves you and Jesus wants to move you into maturity. Matter of fact, that's why our whole mission of the church is this. We exist to connect unconnected people to Jesus Christ, amen? Man, our whole life is saying, God, you have come after me and you are sending me after the world. I love how Jude says this in Jude 22 through 23 because some of us were going, okay, how do we love the world? How do we move out in maturity? Listen to what he says. He says, be merciful to those who doubt and snatch others from the fire and save them. What a great great contrast for us today as the church. What a great workout. Hey, when you see people who are doubting Jesus, have mercy on them. Don't start with judgment. Start with mercy. And at the same time, when you see people who are far from God, or maybe you see Christians who at once place their faith in Jesus but are walking away from them, and go after them. Remind them of the love of God. And you're going, man, how do I do that? Oh, we only do that by the Spirit of God. See, in the midst of our limitation, here's what we need to remember. It's not about our limitation because oftentimes we are so mindful of our limitations. But here's the deal. There was one who had unlimited power but became limited. Jesus. He gave up his glory and stepped into our world, into our limitation. And in the midst of him being limited, he gave the invitation to all of us to say, no, no, no. You want to have life, you come to me. I've come to seek and save the lost. This isn't about you reshaping your life. This is about me taking control of your life, changing your life. And then this is what he does on the cross. He confronts sin and death for all time. See, we don't have to face our limitations by ourselves, but Jesus is with us. And here's what I wanna do right now. Hopefully you guys grabbed your communion before you came in. You know, we wanna avoid, we wanna deny, we, we don't like dealing with our limitations and I'm right there with you, boy. I struggle with being open and honest about weaknesses. But every time, boy, every time we take communion, what we're saying is this. No, Jesus, you're my strength. Paul even says it this way. When I'm weak, he makes me strong. And see, when we come to communion, what we're saying is, Jesus, you alone are my strength. Jesus, you alone are the one that holds me together. And so here in a moment, we're going to take the bread and the juice. But before we do, what I want us to do is this. I want to give you an opportunity 
to be open and real with your heavenly Father right now about the limitations that you face, knowing that he is with us and he's longing to change us. I've asked the band just to sing a few words over us as we're honest with our Savior right now, then I'll come back and I'll lead us in our time of communion. Let's listen to these words and be open to our Father right now. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing, in the hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every minute, every moment, where I've been, Right now, I want to invite you. We're going to put some scripture on screen just to reflect on the goodness of God. I want to read this scripture over us again. We started the series with this. This is the beauty of Jesus being the greatest of all time. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then here's the invitation. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Right now, let us consider him. And let's take the bread together and thank him for going to the cross for us. Let us take the juice and remember that it is his life that was lost so that we can have life and grow in to all that he has for us today. Let's take the juice together right now. Father, we thank you that God, you are with us, that you are for us. That God, in the middle of all of our limitations, in the middle of all of our failures, God, you're not done. And that's what we hold on to today. That Jesus, you are with us the whole of every moment. So Father, today we offer our lives to you. God, would you have your way? Would your kingdom come and would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? God, we pray all of this by your grace and in your name. And all of us said together, Amen. May you go in his peace today, everybody. God bless you.